And I'm Pinky. And you're listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. How's your week been, Luce? I have been on me ollie bobs, Pinky. Been down to Cornwall camping with the family, which seems sort of really strange given the year that we've all had, but just incredible to be out and connected with nature and to take a, a break from um, kind of all of the all of the stuff in the world that there is right now. You know, how are you? Um, yeah, I think it's good to take a break from all of the stuff in the world right now, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm a little bit tired. I went down to Kempton Park today to take part in the government test running event. Uh, so ran 5k. And tomorrow morning, I am getting up at the crack of dawn to run my second ultra marathon because apparently doing one wasn't enough. You are amazing. <laughs> and wild. More ridiculous. By the time people are hearing this podcast, you will have, of course, done that ultra run, which for those not in the know, because I had to ask Pinky because I didn't know, that's when you run further than a marathon. Yeah, that's the kind of bionic superhuman she is. Um, (laughs) So we'll hope that you survived and can just, you know, enjoy sitting back and uh, uh, watching uh, the listens roll in on Wednesday when we launch this pod. <laughs> hey, maybe I'd just be happy if I can walk by Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope you can too. So let's crack on with proceedings um, because carrying on with our LGBTQ plus theme this month, Now Queer as Folk, we have got the tremendous Norwich-based songwriter Jess Morgan. Jess fuses poetry, storytelling and song to make a unique and evocative music, which has been widely critically acclaimed. She's toured extensively across the UK, including slots with the tremendous Beans on Toast. She's also the creator of a new live literature piece of gig theatre called Boring Someone in a Dark Cafe, which fuses music into the narrative to tell a story of being both a nobody in the music industry and a rookie in love looking hopefully for somewhere to belong. In this exclusive interview with us, she shares her songwriting process, the issues faced by LGBTQ plus musicians, and we try, perhaps unsuccessfully, but we give it a good crack to unpick what festivals could do to be more inclusive. Welcome, Jess. How are you? I'm really great, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's really, really great that we could speak to you. And the first thing that I wanted to ask you personally, songwriter to songwriter, was what what inspires you? I just, I just love your music and I've been a fan for a long time. So fill us in, tell us. Ooh, um, well, you know, I've been asked this question quite a lot. And I've always had a different answer, um, I think, depending on where I've been with my career or how life has changed or, you know, how much of a dog's dinner I'm making of the interview at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it's a hard question because it is something that's always changing, I think. Um, but I think the simple answer is that I'm always, always writing um, and I'm really, really fascinated by the writing down of things that happen 
and I think I've been that way since I was little. Um, but, um, you know, I've, I've had a really funny shift lately as well, because I don't know if it's just just with the pandemic and life becoming kind of a bit more stripped back and a bit slower. Um, we've also had a baby, so having a lot less time um, and being more aware of my body, um, I, I feel like I've really kind of noticed that feeling of when something um, when something happens that that I feel is asking to be written down, um, and um, it really does tug very gently on my heart and feels a bit heavy and a bit um, a bit exciting. And um, it's not always a song. In fact, it's it's um, it's too often not a song. Um, which is actually my biggest biggest challenge to try and follow those moments into songs and try and marry up those ideas with music that works and words and you know kind of I want to up my game in that respect and and it, it might cause me to write in a bit of a different way but I mean, that's where I'm at now if that if that answers the question at all but it know, really it's... does it sounds really inspiring that you just you know have this almost physical compulsion to know that you have to write this stuff down and it's really interesting to hear so do you find yourself writing this stuff down daily or now with your sort of um busy busy life with a new little human do you find you have to store it all up and just like blurt it all out when you get a moment I try yeah I try and get it um I mean I should say you know it, I say basically write, written down I mean sometimes like not to show anybody you know only just to, for me but yeah, keep a notebook. Um, and I've got, um, and I'd recommend this to anybody, actually, I've got um, some of these uh, kind of nerdy looking like pen holders that can go around your notebook. So you never lose your pen. Um, <laughs> that sounds so nerdy. That sounds genius. It's like it's a pen holder with some elastic on it. And then you just loop it around the cover. So I've, I've got I've got one on my notebook and I've also got one on a tablet with a stylus in it. So I just never lose the writing implement. And um, yeah, just always just try and scribble things down and then um, a bit later on, maybe make a neater version. There's not a lot of time for the neater version at the minute, but I've got loads and loads of scribbles. And, you know, one day when there's some time, I'll, I'll probably have a leaf through and think, right, is any of that any good? <laughs> it can be nice coming back to those drawers full of lyrics because sometimes, I mean, like, well, in my experience, most of the time it's like, oh, rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. And then you think, <laughs> yeah. wow, did I write that? OK, let's roll with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely definitely and the more you write the more chance there is for something to be good you know or something to be promising at least oh that's that's totally wonderful to hear your insight on being a writer and I think that's something that I've certainly lost is the um you know making sure that I'm writing down every time my brain goes oh that's interesting and I think that's to my detriment really because I can get wrapped up in that oh I'm busy how do I fit in songwriting and you've just kind of inspired me to think of it in a much simpler way you know just make a note and come back to it and if it's a load of rubbish then it's it's only taking up a page in a notebook you know but interesting as well, right, Jess, I was um, thinking the other day, and I think I was probably looking at your social media somewhere, maybe over on Instagram, where you'd put something out in poetry form rather than music form. Um, and it suddenly really dawned on me, right, that like songwriters don't often do that. Like, and actually what you're doing is writing poetry to music. I've always said for me, like, that's the value of of music and particularly songwriting music as opposed to instrumental music right is that for me it's kind of poetry in motion for 
one of the probably indigo girls throws <laughs> um and yeah it just it felt striking i guess to see a musician do that and put that out there but i was also struck that you think what you had put out was a reference to your partner and also something i guess about that representation aspect right so you know I think there is something probably in the folk industry about representation of the LGBTQ plus community. Why is it important to you, I guess, to be putting that information out there? Because there is something you could choose to keep private or not share, and instead you're putting it out into the world. Yeah, I've, I've, I put a few poems out on Instagram and um, I've been writing a bit of poetry and I write a bit of long form stuff and I feel a lot freer to do that, to write love poems to my girlfriend and to write about the experience of being one of two mums and I feel a lot freer to do that outside of my music and I think it's something I'd like to change um, but it's not it's not really easy because yeah and I think it is a question about representation um, and, a, and a question about the folk scene as well and, and it seems to me that you know across across art forms it's the folk scene that seems to be lagging behind a little bit in that respect you know um we see it in other areas of the arts where there's a lot of effort made to to include to include and to to platform and then to invest in the careers of a diverse range of artists but it's certainly been my experience in the folk scene there isn't that much investment at the moment and um it's a shame really because representation is is everything you know for the simple reason if you can't see it you can't be it and and there are there are reasons why it feels particularly important when we talk about folk music as well. I mean, quick caveat, you know, when I say when I say folk music, um, my definition and my understanding is is quite broad in that I'm inclusive of singer songwriters as well as those who handle kind of traditional material as well. But what I understand about folk music and what kind of drives my definition is that folk music is a genre that deals in stories. I know some people might disagree with me, but that's that's where I come from anyway. And um, stories which document our time and which have been handed down, um, which resonate and connect people. And representation holds the key to which stories or or whose stories get told. Well, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was thinking about you know I hold a very similar sense of definition of folk I guess and I referenced the Indigo Girls earlier but it actually mm. dawned on me the other day that there's a song on their new album that specifically talks about the experience of being a young girl a young woman in a small town and not falling in love and not having the same experiences as other people because that representation wasn't out there and it suddenly dawned on me like that's I think one of the first songs I've heard about the experience of coming out, but that's that's not uncommon, right? Like, no. you know, if one in ten people are in the LGBTQ plus community, like, where are they in folk music? And what does folk music need to do to shift that balance somehow, I guess, is maybe more the question. How do we open up the space for it to feel okay for people like you to be open about who you are and who you're in love with? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, that kind of a song strikes me as just so blooming brave, you know, and it's 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 amazing territory to be writing in, I think. And that's classic Indigo Girls, isn't it? You know, that's that's where they are. But, you know, yeah, um, it feels to me like maleness, whiteness and 
heteronormativity are extremely well represented while they're you know it, it's almost I don't want to say at the, at the expense of any, everybody else but it, it does mean that the same stories get entrenched the same expectations of the scene are just kind of getting driven and driven and driven and in turn there are fewer opportunities for musicians outside of that really small remit and I don't want to sound crass but I think when there are opportunities to earn performance fees and to earn royalties then careers are made and um, people can see that and people can emulate that and and it's really important but when those careers aren't made and when 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 people from diverse kind of backgrounds aren't invested in then it's it's not a real plat it's not a proper platform I don't think it's not a platform that says this is a job and you can do it and you're part of it and and you're an artist and your subject matter and and your life matters you know I wonder if one of the reasons the folk scene struggles with representation across the board is to bring it back to a conversation we've had multiple times on the podcast that the folk scene views itself as a family it likes to view itself as the most welcoming scene a lot of the people that like the music would consider themselves very liberal very open very tolerant of people from all different backgrounds and experiences and I think one of the reasons it's been struggling to engage in this conversation is because it feels that inclusivity is implied and mm. has gone so far down the road of going, well, it's implied, you know, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> that as you say, actually what has happened is we've ended up only perpetuating these male, white, hetero artists or uplifting them mostly. And then, you know, we go down the pecking order of who can be uplifted after that. Um, so just as you were speaking then, that was kind of going through my mind. I wondered if you had any reflections for why you think the folk scene finds it hard to um, open itself up to more diverse representation. Mm. I think partly because it's like cyclical, you know, it's it just keeps it just keeps happening, doesn't it? it kind of, you know, opportunity breeds art and, you know, it's... You know, when I say stories, it's not it's not simply in the story of who's booked for this or who's released this record, but also the you know the things we're singing about and the things we're saying and and the and the way we we carry ourselves as well. You know, if it's if it's if it's always kind of inclusive to a point, and if it's always just implied, then well, I mean, it's not implied. You know, that's the yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think that was definitely what I was trying to suggest. The notion that like feeling that it's implied actually isn't the same as being open and making the opportunities as you say really really interesting reflections yeah. as well about the cyclicalness I suppose the smallness of the scene doesn't help it break out no. of that right yeah yeah and then you end up with with problems like you know particularly when it comes to like I'm a big champion of and, and I suppose this applies more to more to songwriters than than anybody dealing with anything that's copy copywritten, but it's opportunities to play and to be involved in projects breed songwriter royalties, which is our pension, you know. And you end up you end up with 
you know, women, for example, being paid an awful lot less and having an awful lot kind of to look forward to in terms of retirement than, than men. And it's, it's quite frightening, you know, when you look at kind of the, the statistics on that and, and on some of the numbers and things like that. But there are also these kind of hidden problems, which is kind of like what you're talking about, you know, and it's a hard thing to be to be an, an out LGBT artist in a scene that doesn't expect you and gives the impression that it doesn't welcome you, even if that's not true, you know? Well, and I guess it also, you know, coming at it from the perspective of someone who walks into folk clubs or festivals as somebody that enjoys folk music rather than performing, I think also probably what you lack is seeing those people reflected back in audiences and crowds, right? You know, folk clubs might be really welcoming, engaging, embracing places, but my experience is when you walk in as a younger LGBT woman as part of a relationship that you're met with a sea of very white very old very middle class very male faces and I've never felt more different in all my life and so those people might you know one-to-one be genuinely lovely people I'm sure they are you know and when I've sat in that room in that venue long enough you know absolutely not been made to feel unwelcome but I don't think if you haven't experienced that you can understand how it feels without anything being said right and that mirrors and echoes for artists that are performing and I you know imagine it's probably similar and I would never want to speak on anyone's behalf but for people of colour you know looking back and seeing a sea of white faces must be equally problematic and again we say well where are the people of colour in our our scene and our industry well you know it's not enough, I guess, to say you're welcome. Mm. How do you, you know, there might be a seat at the table, but how are we, how are we going to open the door to even find out where the table is? And that's what we're missing. Yeah, and also part of part of part of what makes for me playing, you know, music that I would describe as folk, you know, something that that I love and and something I I think is a, is a really beautiful experience to have is is what makes being kind of more more visible quite hard sometimes in that you know the venues are quite intimate sometimes um certainly the ones I play in anyway um I'm not not out of the in you know in the big places yet or or ever but um you know they they can be really um really small places um sometimes there isn't lighting so you're actually kind of very well and and sometimes quite hideously lit and and that makes a difference because it's exposing and you know it's it's it can make for you know something that feels very pure and very intimate but it can also make you feel really out on a limb you know as a performer I played a whole range of places on my last tour where I kind of went out and did something different I kind of was making a move towards something a bit more like live literature kind of thing so there was um there was a kind of a you know not to sound too but it was kind of a narrative arc through through the show and the songs kind of the songs were in there but it was also like a great long story to be told from from the start to the finish and it was you know it was a little bit about me as well and there was a point in it where I kind of you know I talked about my partner Joe and and I just I knew every night you know I knew when it was coming and I knew kind of what what my cue for it was but there was a point at which I kind of I become different you know, to a to a majority of the people in the audience when they know something about me, which is, you know, ridiculously intimate. And it kind of, I got used to it, you know, kind of by, by the, the end, but it was kind of a really challenging thing to do, to go out and just stand out in a way that's, that's different, especially when, you know, 
for a lot of people, they would say kind of songs, the songs that we play and, and our performances are, are designed to connect with people. You know, it's a real buzzword at the minute, connection. And to, to go out there and kind of risk a disconnect is um, a tricky thing to do. But then, by the same token, you know, if you connect with someone completely on your own terms, being completely yourself, then there's nothing more wonderful. You know, there was, you know, nothing made my heart leap, like doing that little bit of my show and occasionally getting a cheer or, you know, you know, the, my, my home crowd in Norwich were really supportive and lots of friends, lots of friends were there, lots of queer people there. And, you know, just getting a cheer for that bit of the show was was like nothing else. And the same in Coventry, actually. But then we played to some small places, played to nine people in Orkney. <laughs> and, you know, I sat backstage and, and I was thinking, Maybe I won't do my show tonight. Maybe I'll just go out and play 11 songs and just do a set, you know, almost chickening out. And then I just would say, no, just go out and do the show. And if everybody looks at you funny afterwards, then so be it. It sounds like an incredible show and a really empowering and special thing that you offered the audience, actually, to be so open. And I think one of the biggest difficulties as a performer is to, is that, it's not like another job, is it? You literally lay down your heart every night for people to say that you're good enough or bad or worthy or whatever judgment you allow them to pass judgment on you and your heart offering as in your work and your songs and your art. Can people find the show online? Might we see it again when when you can tour again? What will happen? I've been given a really fantastic opportunity to develop it so you know, I really, I really loved just the a different format, and you know, it needed a lot of work. It was a good experiment, I think, and I was, I was very lucky to have some support from um, the Arts Council to, to kind of do a first run at it and to, to take a chance and do something different. And now I've had a chance to develop it. So, yeah, it was, it was supposed to go out earlier last year. And then obviously, you know, all the venues closed, so it didn't. So then we're thinking about this this year, although I don't know how that's going to work now with with being a new mum and with the shape of the industry, we don't really know what's coming, but I'm certainly working on it, but I'm not sure when it will come out. But it's it's not online anymore. I think And as, as I was developing it, I kind of thought, I'll take it down. And, you know, when it's, when it's a new thing, hopefully people will come out and see it live. I'm sure they will. And I'm sure people can make sure that they um, are following you on all the appropriate platforms to find out <laughs> when that might be. I was actually thinking when you were talking, Jess, for me, it's like, it's that interesting assumed position, isn't it? You've walked into venues, you know, created something that means you have to out yourself night after night over and over. And that's what we as members of the queer community have to do. Like, we're always you know, everybody in the world is assumed to be heterosexual until somebody says otherwise. And yeah. I think that's the shift that needs to happen. It's not, for me, necessarily about LGBTQ people having to speak up more. It's about the world's dominant narrative changing so that we don't make those assumptions of anybody in any space that you are presumed to be in a straight relationship or a cisgender individual, et cetera, et cetera. And we're not there yet and therefore that puts a lot of onus and responsibility and pressure I think on those of us who are in the community to find a way to speak and use our voices but actually that that is difficult and that's a journey and that's a life's progress and sometimes actually I want to have to do it 
I just want to be me and be accepted <laughs> me and not have to, you know, be informed and be there with some sort of left-wing woke political agenda, as I think they like to call it on the internet when they refer to it. <laughs> so woke, oh. so woke. Mm. <laughs> Something that's going through my mind is you folks talked about, you know, it's not enough. Implied inclusivity is not enough. It's about opening the door. And I'm one, I'm sitting here as a hetero person who has not experienced what you guys have experienced of having to out yourselves on the regular because of this assumption that everybody is cisgendered, heteronormative person. So I'm think, sitting here thinking, what would be helpful? Are we are we saying that we that you know festivals and folk clubs should consider putting statements on their websites of inclusivity for example you know not just for gay people of course but you know addressing all aspects of diversity what are like this may not be right for the podcast because it isn't your job to fix it but I'm just sitting here wondering what what could what would make us what could start turning the tables do you think it's tricky isn't it I mean I mean I think you know statements go so far you know they're great they're they're a door opener they say this organization has thought about it but I guess as Jess was saying earlier you know there's something about the platforms and the royalties and opening the doors and actually you know maybe it comes back more to when we were talking with Stevie um you know Stevie was saying like well actually it's not hard to get a 50-50 balance you just book the artist and if you book so many men you go out and you find some women well, surely the same principle applies, right? If you've booked so many, you know, straight or perceived straight artists, you go out and you find the people that aren't and you make sure you give equal weighting and equal platform, you know, maybe you amplify newer voices up the bill because they're diverse and representing a different ilk and a different calibre than shoehorning them in as a token you know so like when we're designing this podcast I think we've come up with a series of themes or topics or things we know we want to cover but we've also been really clear that they don't you know people from the LGBT community don't just sit in one episode one month over a 12 month period we want those voices in as many episodes as we can get them it's part of the solution isn't it like that not yeah also maybe kind of you know, there's already a kind of, there's, there are some artists out there who are doing a fantastic job of kind of proving that there is an appetite for, you know, not just not just being a, being a queer artist, but kind of having that kind of subject matter in your work. You know, I'm thinking about Ohuli and Tido and, and Grace Petrie and, you know, they're hugely successful and hugely well-respected and, you know, perhaps perhaps artists like that should be curating stages, you know, and kind of throwing open, yeah, opening the doors and kind of, you know, inviting applications for people who want to put themselves out there in that particular way and kind of... I think it would be hard just to book someone... You know, I don't know how I'd respond to an email saying, you know, a bit, a bit like kind of, I don't know. Yeah, you want to be booked for your music, not because of your LGBTQ plus status. First. Yeah, I think I think that's the tr- that's the tricky thing, isn't it? It's a bit, it's it's like being a woman musician as well. It's kind of, you know, I'm very proud of of being a woman, and it's a huge part of, you know, my kind of my performance and my songwriting but I don't like you know what it gives other people the power to do you know being being booked because I'm a woman I mean <laughs> <laughs> you know. yeah 
Yeah, it's, it's holding both things in tension, isn't it? I think what you're saying actually is what we need is the Thank Folk for Feminism stage at every festival around the country where we can just book a really diverse lineup. Absolutely, absolutely. What I mean is I, I, I don't mind having the power myself, you know, if I was invited to apply for a stage that was being curated by, like, say, you guys, you know, then of course, you know, I, I will put myself forward because because this is me and this is my story and... You know, I, I feel like that would work better perhaps than being cherry picked, depending on who, you know. Yeah, I would definitely go to a festival curated by Grace and Owen T, though. Just I think that's a great shout. Let's just put that in out into the universe that we need that festival to exist. And mm. maybe Thank Folk for Feminism can have a little stall in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> you undervalue us, Lucy. I'm going big. I want the main stage. You want the tea tent with the cake. I see where we're at in terms of our plans for world domination. That is my dream. <laughs> I'm, I am a tea lady at heart I'm, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm totally cool with it. I think you change the world with cake and tea, quite frankly. Yeah. Cake, tea and conversation. <laughs> that's, that's, that's going on a tea. There you go. More merch ideas for your love. (laughs) (laughs) So on the subject of merch ideas, we wanted to talk to you about the fact that you are a DIY artist, but a DIY artist to the nth degree. There's nothing that you can't seem to turn your hand to from design and illustration to obviously being a wildly talented musician. And I just wondered why, why that grassroots approach has been so central to your career. Ah, well, thank you. That's really nice of you to say. Gosh, (laughs) Um, I mean, it really easy because I love it. I really love like making stuff and like just just getting in there with my hands and and seeing how much I can do. And I know when I was a you know a younger musician, I really got a bit of a thrill out of like how how much can I possibly do myself, you know, from kind of starting up the label and you know designing the CD all the way through, releasing it, doing doing all the technical stuff, doing my own books, and just yeah, right through to kind of making a version of my own vinyl kind of thing. It's 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 something I really get a kick out of, but. Yeah, and I also just have a, a a really kind of very simple love for it. You know, I, I like making stuff, you know. That's so cool. That's so cool because I think, you know, your your fans, they're just getting such a unique and special offering because it's come so directly from you. And, and I run my own label and what I have realised over the years, because I did start out on quite a big folk label, is that there is a lot more you can do than people tell you you can. You are more than capable of going and learning how to use Photoshop. Your drawings are good enough to go in the artwork and all of that stuff that goes along with it. And I find it quite an empowering thing. And it sounds like, you know, perhaps it comes from that similar place for you as well, just the love of creation. But at the same time, you know, to be to be in control of it not in a control freak way but just to have this like full fully realized package I guess around your music yeah definitely and it's really nice to have to have that aspect that of 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 music that it's not only completely under your control but it's also it's something that constantly reminds you that you're doing something that you love because there are you know some aspects of being a musician that can be really tricky and kind of hard to navigate and and 
and for me, you know, sometimes I, I do think, am I, am I doing something I love or am I just doing something that gets me down? But then I come back to like, yeah, doing a sketch for the lyric booklet. And I think I really love this. I love that I get to make something and see it to fruition and, you know, sit in a room with a hundred of them in a box. And it's, it's a real privilege. And I just kind of, you know, the more I do it, the more I see it and the more I kind of want to hold it with both hands, you know. I think it comes from having grown up with only hard copy music, possibly, you know, from anything from seeing my dad play in a rock band, you know, when I was growing up to kind of there being no instant music, no Sky TV, just literally waiting for Top of the Pops and kind of that kind of patience and that sense of preciousness around music that... And, you know, music only being something that that was available on tapes or CDs and it's kind of, you know, it's to be held and touched and read and, you know, annoying your dad so much by taking the booklets out of CD covers and not putting them back properly. And (laughs) Oh, I think it's such a changing world that we live in with digital music, but I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think Pinky is also of the ilk that it is a precious thing to have the real, the real deal doesn't feel real to me when I've just downloaded it. Yeah, yeah. I think you probably both know I have a house full of vinyl and CDs. Mm. And if I love something, I'm always going to go out and buy the physical form. And I think it, you know, it probably speaks back as well, Jess, right, to that kind of storytelling element of stuff that for me, you know, it feels like artists put a lot of time and a lot of thought into an album and the ordering of an album and there's a narrative and an arc and a story to it. And if you load something up on Spotify, certainly with my phone, it sticks it on shuffle to start with. So I've got no idea what song one versus song 12 is. And you start to lose. I've realised like particularly during the pandemic, I've consumed like quite a lot of single track songs but not really consumed albums in the same way. And that for me is like the real power of folk music actually. And like things I love at festivals when you can go and rifle through the merch stalls and have a good look at, you know, touch stuff physically and really, you know, see the stuff that stands out, you know, when artists have created the whole package. That shows, that tells more than like a plastic polished book with a single liner note in it. Mm. Give me stories on top of your music. Give me both. (laughs) Yeah, I love sleeve notes, like anything extra. You know, if I've got an album, I love anything extra I can find out about it. Like, I really want to. And I, and I, I get infuriated when I don't, when I'm listening to something and there isn't a lyric booklet and I kind of, I'm not sure if I'm hearing it right. And, and it, and it means that I, I don't know if I understand it. And I just feel like, oh, sometimes I'm on the verge of emailing the artist to be like, what is this about? There's a there's an Olivia Cheney song and I just I don't know what it's about. And and I really want to because it's so beautiful. And I think, how is it possible to have your heart kind of broken by a song, but not really be sure what it's about? But music's really mystical like that, isn't it? But I'm I'm desperate to know. And if I ever meet her, I'm going to just really embarrass myself by you know, blathering <laughs> on about it and trying to find out. But yeah, so if you're out there, Olivia Cheney, don't meet me ever. <laughs> but do email her the lyrics to all of your songs, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, incredible. So on the note of songs, we wanted to ask you if you had a favourite song on the theme of LGBTQ plus or by an LGBTQ plus artist that just sticks out for you as one to treasure and one to share with the audience today. 
Mm. Well, I found that really hard because I definitely do. I have an absolute favourite, a song that was so important to my partner and me during our IVF journey and, you know, all around that kind of area. But I, I don't think it's an artist who's very publicly out in her music. So I'm kind of going to play a bit safe and back away from it, which is, which is a shame. But perhaps it's case in point for the whole, you know, whole of everything that we've talked about today you know it's maybe a day will come when you know it isn't outing someone on a podcast to to say that you like their song but so so I'll play a little safer and I was thinking about talking about a revolution Tracy Chapman because we put it on a playlist for our little girl and you know I just you know stick it on shuffle whether that's right or wrong but, um, <laughs> but when that song you know when the kind of opening guitar chords of that song start playing I think yep yeah, she's She's listening to something good. And, you know, when, when you can hear Tracy Chapman's voice singing, she's got so much range, so much light and shade. You know, she can be so powerful and tender, you know, effortlessly. And I think I feel like I'm exposing my daughter to something wonderful when Tracy Chapman sings. Oh, you've literally just made me cry and given me oh. goosebumps. <laughs> That's oh, amazing. No. Um, sorry, this podcast does make me cry. This is a thing. So, you know, you can take it off the bucket list of life. You've made me cry. That's such a beautiful choice and what an incredible, you know, personal thing to share that it's a song that you, you know, want your daughter to carry with her from this very, very tiny dot age that she is now right through to the incredible woman she will no doubt grow to be. Jess, thank you so much for talking to us today and bringing your whole self to the episode and your whole self into the story and also just your willingness and compassion and respect you know I think your your closing anecdote about not wanting to out somebody else is just you know equally massively important that we know there will be many many queer artists and individuals out there who will be listening who will really respect that approach as well so thank you for joining us today it's been a pleasure to talk to you oh thank you for having me Uh, wasn't that just wonderful don't forget to keep an eye on jess's website www.jessmorgan.co.uk and sign up to her mailing list if you want to be the first to hear when that show tours in this episode we were also lucky enough to chat with to oxford-based queer folk musician rory skystar about being a non-binary artist Rory creates their own music as well as reworking the trad canon and we talk to them about their experience of the folk scene, their performance processes and more. Massive, massive warm welcome to Rory Skystar. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege and an honour to have you here as part of the podcast. Um, for the benefit of our listeners who maybe don't know who you are, could you just give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself um, and let us know, you know, maybe where you draw your inspiration from or the kind of things that inspire you? Hi, um... Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's also an absolute privilege to be here. Um, I've really enjoyed listening to the previous ep episodes of your podcast. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, 
Uh, I'm Rory Skyster. Um, I'm a folk singer-songwriter. I'm based in Oxford. Um, and I'm also a non-binary person. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. Um, and uh, well, I guess I, uh, I've, been, I've been into folk music for a long time. Um, I sort of was introduced to um, the folk, the, the British folk tradition um, when I did uh, forest school camps as a child. Um, it's a camping charity for anyone who, who doesn't know uh, what, what they're about. Um, they're really, really amazing. Uh, they have a huge uh, sort of um, collection of folk songs that they, that they sing uh, around the campfire. And that was an amazing experience for me growing up. And that's where I really sort of got into folk music. Um, and then uh, as an adult, you know, I've continued singing songs. Um, I started performing uh, in, you know, just in sing arounds and things and open mics. Um, and I was mainly performing these traditional songs. Um, and uh, basically I sort of started realizing that a lot of them didn't really seem to represent me. Um, so as, uh, first of all, I realized that I uh, was not straight. So obviously there's a lot of straight love songs um, in, in folk repertoire. And I kind of felt like there was less um, uh, queerness there that, um, that yeah, wasn't represented in that regard. And then I realized that I didn't even identify within the gender binary. And there are literally no folk songs about that. Um, so I sort of started writing um, more of my own material. And now I still sing some, some traditional folk songs. Um, I also sometimes do uh, something that quite a few people in the, in the scene do. And I, I've, I've definitely heard, um, Lucy, you've done on, on this podcast before, um, rewriting songs to, to kind of be more, more uh, appropriate for the times and stuff. And that's something I also really like doing. Um, but yeah, also I, I now write a lot more of my original music um, about uh, gender and um, feminism and um, not just that stuff. Also, um, I'm an autistic person, so I also write about being autistic and about neurodivergence in general, men mental health. Um, and uh, yeah, the environment, that's a big one. I know lots of folkies write about the environment, but um, yeah, so all sorts of things really. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of how I started um, and what I do now, I think, yeah. That's, that's, that's about me in a nutshell. It feels like that comment you made about not being represented by the folk music you were brought up on is something that comes up time and time again, pretty mm -hmm. much in terms of everybody we speak to, right? There's this common kind of reflection, <laughs> which begs the question for me, like, who does it represent? <laughs> Anyone? I don't know, really. Um, yeah, I find it, I find it kind of, weird i remember growing up um thinking about pop music everyone always seemed to be represented by pop music because um kind of the lyrics often i don't know what it is about pop music lyrics but they always seem generic enough that 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 people can kind of go oh i feel like that i'm not saying that that's bad i'm not saying they're kind of of a lower caliber or anything but i mean that is an art in itself to you know make a lyric that anyone can feel they relate to but yeah I didn't feel the same with folk so as I guess because folk songs 
are often very story driven, which I think is one of the real charms of folk music and I really, really love. But that obviously means that they can't be very wishy-washy, you know, they have to, if you're telling a story, there's going to be details in there. So in another super random small detail, but, but when we're talking about like heteronormative love songs, I mean, it is easier to write a song about a man and a woman just because then you can go, oh, then she did this and then he did that and then she did this. And, um, you know, there's loads of songs uh, that, that fit that kind of mold. So I guess that makes it easier. But as you say, there's a lot of people that it doesn't really represent anymore. And I feel very strongly, and I know other people have said this on the podcast before, but I do feel very strongly like that folk music should change, should be an ever-evolving thing and should always be representing the people who are singing it at that point in time. There's no reason that we have to sort of pick some random point in the, I don't know, 1800s or 1700s or something and be like, that, that's sort of this perfect ideal of, of what we sing about. It sounds like, you know, the not being represented in your case is actually what fueled your burgeoning songwriting you know wanting to evolve the tradition and work with it and change it and create new songs for the canon which is really cool and just to to echo what you said you know and 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 Pinky, I, I smiled when you asked that question about who does it represent. Probably no, there's probably nobody because you know a lot of them are just kind of like epically gory, misogynistic, <laughs> murder ballads, right? <laughs> so I uh-huh. think you know a lot of the um, a lot of the the badness is overlooked by um, by a good yarn, isn't it? And it's what mm. actually captivates so many of us about the about the form, isn't it? So I think. Um, If we could kind of jump into something, you mentioned that you're a non-binary person Mm -hmm. and, you know, we have become increasingly aware, even more so through recording these episodes, that uh, inclusivity of um, marginalised peoples is a real issue within the folk scene. And so I'd wondered if you would give us some reflection on how inclusive you feel the folk scene is to non-binary people. So... My completely honest answer is not very, (laughs) but I don't think that that's necessarily a reflection just of the folk scene. I think that we're at a point in society in general where non-binary as a thing is still very, is still quite invisible. So I think that a lot of the underrepresentation that I feel, um, is nothing to do with just the folk scene. I think it's just, you know, society in general, but that is changing. Um, So I I came out as non-binary in 2014 and in the seven years since then, um, uh, I do feel that like things have definitely changed. Back then I was having to literally every time I introduced myself be like, this is who I am, you know, I'm non-binary, this means I'm not male and I'm not female, this is how you refer to me, please use they, them pronouns. Whereas I feel like nowadays, I do still sometimes have to do that. I have to do that quite a lot, but not always. And it's nice that it's not always. And, you know, on forms and things, having a, a gender option that isn't just male and female, things like that you see more often these days. So I think that's getting better. In, in regards to the folk scene, so I'm still quite an up-and-coming artist um I have obviously done some some sort of proper proper build gigs but mostly I I um 
do like open stage slots um and and you know uh that kind of thing uh go to the go to all the the startup stages at the festivals and stuff um where they don't necessarily have a chance to kind of look you up and stuff which means that it is particularly difficult as a non-binary artist because either i have to make a big thing about my gender when i go up to them and say i want to do a slot this is how you have to refer to me or i don't because that feels kind of weird and i don't want to make a big thing of it but then obviously i end up quite often being misgendered as i'm being announced and does get really disheartening when you go onto a stage and you know you're excited to get even just 15 minutes with an audience and then someone says she obviously a lot of this is is unintentional there have also been times that have been intentional uh so or at least i'm pretty sure have been intentional it's kind of difficult to tell sometimes there's been for example a time where i was due to perform had a had a set date person asked me for for a little a little advertising blurb about myself so i wrote them a little thing and i always make sure in my little blurbs that I use they them pronouns a lot like more than you'd maybe think um just to really make sure that that they know and they sort of said a couple of days later oh the advertising's up on the website you know go check it out advertise to your friends etc so I went to the website and they'd literally gone through the whole blurb and changed every instance of the pronoun they to she um, we just have to say for the podcast here, because you can't see our faces, myself and Pinky's jaws just dropped. That's an awful <laughs> thing to have experienced, Rory. We're so sorry to hear that. Yeah, I was just, I was, I mean, I was really surprised as well when I saw that. You know, I don't know who exactly did that, because obviously they will have had a larger publicity team, not just one person. And I don't know what exactly their motivation was, but yeah so <laughs> someone did that so you know there are times like that the de- general position i take is assume that everything is in good faith well and also within that right even if you know you take it in good faith and it's somebody who's looked at your blurb and thought oh that's kind of jarring it doesn't read very well i'm gonna fix the pronouns in it so it reads better the fact that they asked you to put it together mm. send it to them right an act of good faith on their behalf would have been to come back to you and say yeah we've had a look at your blurb you know we think it would read better if we did blah 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 like, you know, can we change the pronouns to she? And then you could have opened that dialogue about yeah. who you've used they, them, why that's important, who it is without that. You know, I guess in some ways it feels, and I don't want to conflate to different issues, but it's the same as the experience of being gay, right? And continuous mm. having to come out. Like, my yeah. sexuality is never assumed of me. Like, it's always an assumption that I am a straight woman until I mm-hmm. realize. And if we could mould the world a little bit more to not make those assumptions of people, so to not assume sexuality or gender, we'd probably get a lot further quicker. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. To put it in the context of you about to go on stage, right, and talking about being misgendered by an MC, it's something you, as you've said, you're having to deal with in your everyday life because of the situation of non-binary still being quite a new concept to a lot mm-hmm. of people. And um, hopefully, you know, we're in a process of change. 
Um, but you know, you shouldn't have to be dealing with that when you're about to go on stage, when actually you're dealing with nerves, a performance, uh, mm. energy, thinking about what song you're going to play first, all of that stuff, you know, uh, like we should be facilitating a position for artists where, uh, they can perform at their best and something like this would be so simply fixed wouldn't it like briefing mcs to just like check with anybody yeah what what pronoun would you prefer (laughs) and most people will be very comfortable answering that question right or probably all people (laughs) yeah no i i really do think that 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 yeah that should be something that i you know anyone who 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 announces people who's listening um yeah definitely should be something that that i think uh people should do you know along with people often check you know how to pronounce your name um checking pronouns along with that is a is a good thing to do i think yeah, and I guess also that there are those bigger seismic shifts and those smaller shifts. You know, we, we used to talk about preferred fr- pronouns and actually it's mm. preferred, is it? Like your pronouns, are they them? That's not yeah. about preference. That's about who you are as a person. You yeah. Know, just taking the time to even just be able to think about that in dialogue and enlighten each other because, you know, we, we all get stuff wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. How can we open up a space where we are more willing to have conversation about oh actually you know you've just said this and just to let you know yeah but again that not always being on the minoritized group or individual right yeah yeah definitely one of the things we are like really keen to push and really keen to think about is how we make things better. Mm. Thinking about, you know, naming the problems, naming the issues, but then also thinking about are there tangible things we could do differently, be that audience Mm. members, be that venues, be that promoters, be that artist bookers. Are there things you think that the folk scene could do Mm -hmm. to make the world, to make, you know, the folk scene better for non-binary artists? Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, as 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 I say, um, there's we, we've got a long way to go. We've we've come somewhere. We've got a long way to go. Um, uh, as you know, as we mentioned before, with with misgendering when when you know being invited to the stage, spreading awareness at all levels of um, of you know any 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 given uh, event, um, so that yeah, the, the 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 promoter knows and the stewards know um you know and whoever whoever might be interacting with the artists or even if they're not interacting with the artists that everyone knows that you know there might be artists who who use different pronouns and that's cool and please respect that i think is uh, yeah i think that's an important thing i think also specifically trying to book artists who are more diverse and this is obviously not just uh, a gender thing I mean you've you've talked already on, on the podcast about just booking more women because there still isn't equality for women booking more diverse artists across the board um you know more, more diverse artists in terms of race disability whatever and then I think there's also there's also things that just that audience members and casual people in the folk scene can do uh which is if there are songs where the lyrics aren't great you know in regard to well anything really again whatever diversity we're talking about if you can either I mean you know I guess 
not sing that song as often or even better just leave out that verse change that verse uh make it something really cool and empowering um especially with pronouns you can change pronouns in songs so easily yeah doing that and then just spreading those songs and if anyone starts singing a song that you know might be problematic in some way just going oh hey I know that song but like I've heard this other version that that maybe we could sing instead I I really don't think that folk songs should ever be set in stone that sort of thing can always be done and anyone can do it so um yeah I guess just changing changing the little folk scenes within the bigger scene around you can really help and it can be fun right like yeah I feel like potentially there could be a strain of of folkies out there who feel affronted by the notion that Mm. like we could change things perhaps you know I, I think that's that's a minority but it's a minority that we often seem to speak about that that seem to have a big yeah power uh, they've come up time and time again in this mm-hmm. podcast and I, so I think you know if anybody out there is listening and you know the stuff that Rory said about rewriting the song sort of feels to you like you know well you know it, it's not that bad in the scheme of things we can mm-hmm. say go up the rigging while the little girl nurses isn't that bad you're right it isn't that bad but let me tell you it is fun to subvert (laughs) these songs because I do a version of the blacksmith where I leave the lyrics pretty much exactly the same till the last verse when she's like sod this I'm like there's no man so the last verse is now uh there's no man a girl can trust saving her own brother so girls if you must love love one another and nice. that is enough to check, you know, it still preserved the majority yeah. of the song as it was, but it also lets people know that, like you say, we've stepped into a new time yeah. where women, non-binary people, people from marginalised backgrounds can make this stuff their own and rightly so, and we should celebrate that. So, yeah. you know, go away and have fun with these songs and we're excited to hear them at Sing Around when we're allowed to do them again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Uh, another Another example... So I'm, I'm involved in quite a few of these kinds of groups. There's another one um, that I'm involved with. It's a, it's a, a sea shanty sing around. Again, feminist and sea shanties can particularly be quite misogynistic and quite racist because of the sort of colonial history there, which is a, a whole, a whole kettle of fish that I am not qualified to talk about as a white person. But yeah, at, that, at those sessions, we also, we also change lyrics. And because that's held in a pub, we have had people come in and be like, oh, sea shanties, great. I love sea shanties. You know, some of them will then go, oh, this is even better than I thought. But there have definitely been multiple occasions where they've gone oh oh no no not this and have just have just like immediately left um like this is you know this is sullying our our history kind of thing by by doing this to folk songs this is terrible you know you've made Um, it when you've polarized an audience that much Thank you so much for spending time with us, Rory, and sharing your views and your opinions. I know there's certainly stuff I'm going to take away from today, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Thank you so much. It's been really, really good talking to you. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Bye.
I don't know about you, but I learned so much from Rory taking the time to share their experience with us on the show. Really pleased that they took the time to reach out to us and give us all a little bit of insight into the experiences of non-binary musicians. If you want to find out more, visit Rory Skyster at bandcamp.com and you spell that R-O-A-R-Y, like roaring like a lion, and Skyster is S-K-A-I-S-T-A. And so without further ado, we begin to look towards next month's podcast where the theme will be stepping into your power. We talk to women who have worked extensively with men, male partners, both creative and personal throughout their career, about making sure that your own voice is heard and celebrated when you're working in a duo. We speak to the tremendous Catherine Roberts and the brilliant Debbie Hannah of Megson. Uh, among others that will be joining us for next month's chat so we hope that you'll come along and listen in the meantime don't forget to go and seek us out on all of the social media platforms we are on twitter instagram and facebook um, and please do make sure that you give us feedback on the show tell us what else you want to hear over the course of the next six months um, and also don't forget to hit us up with your playlist suggestions going forward um, over on spotify you will also find this month's queer as folk playlist for your listening pleasure over the next few weeks until next time, take care. Bye. Thank Folk for Feminism is a Betty Beetroot production. <laughs> <laughs>